Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. This is a Rogue Media Network podcast. Welcome to Purpose Driven Sobriety. Thank you for joining the Purpose Driven Sobriety Podcast. My name is Christine and I'm an alcoholic. I would like to thank my sweet, sweet friend, Jennifer Halverson, for uh, sponsoring this episode. She's got micro microcurrent neurofeedback. It's always a, a mouthful for me to say that, um, but Jennifer's doing great things and is a, is a friend of us um, in recovery. So Jennifer, thank you so much for sponsoring this episode. So without further ado, I have a new buddy, friend, brother in recovery, Mr. Josh. Now, may I use your last name or are you, do you? You can. No, you can I, absolutely. I, I, I thought that that was okay. Josh Richards, thank you so much for, for joining me today. Um, on the show, Josh, we just, we just share, you know, our experience, strength and hope, what it was like, what happened and what we're like now. Um, I've, I've kind of, you sent me a few links, um, to your music, uh, Josh is a musician, and I'm very impressed with you. I love what you're doing. And so I cannot wait to hear all the things about Josh Richards and what happened, uh, you know, what what it was like, what happened, and what you're like now. So, yeah, with, yeah tell me all about you. All right. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. It's a blessing and an honor to be here with My you. Pleasure. And uh, it's just an uh, – <clears throat> It's an amazing testimony to just be sitting here talking to you today. Um, the things that had to happen for me to get to this point to where I was um, over a 20-year period, um, really, if you want to, we'll go back all the way to 1998, I think is when my life took a turn for the worse. And then um, it just slowly took a downward spiral. So I'll start there. I'll start way back. We'll go all the way back to 1998. I was 16 years old and I was um, playing football. Um, in Maryville, Tennessee, and I'm originally from Panama City, Florida, and so my mom and my dad moved me from Panama City, Florida, from the beach to the mountains when I was uh, 14 um, to kind of keep me out of trouble and stuff. I was I was excelling in sports, and they thought, man, you know, maybe if we we get him up to the mountains and get him involved, surely in in football and in baseball and stuff, we can we can keep him out of trouble, and it it worked great. Um, I was instantly popular when I moved to Tennessee because I was the boy from the beach, you know, and it just had, it was a blessing, really. Um, I had a great childhood growing up. And then um, when I was 15 years old, it all kind of just started to fall apart. Um, I had never been around divorce. My family was one of those families that prayed together, stayed together. I've always had a, a spiritual influence in my life. My grandfather was a deacon in a Pentecostal church and my mom and dad had us in church my whole life. And um, so I never was around drugs. I never was around any type of negativity. It was all just positive, loving experience. I had a great childhood. And so when tragedy struck, I didn't really know how to deal with it. So when I was 15 years old, my mom decided that she wanted to divorce my dad. They've been married for about 22 years. And all of a sudden I was a product of divorce. And, um, 
my sister was in college at the time. And so it was just me kind of stuck in the middle between my mom and my dad. And so um, I kind of played the tug of war game between both of them. And it really just kind of sent me down a, a path of, all right, well, let me see how I can play both sides of this and and see what it, how I can, you know, come through this track, this, this hard time. So I, I really just kind of stuck my nose to the grindstone in football and baseball and just really excelled in, in, in both sports. And um, when I turned 16, I was um, picked to be on a traveling all-star team in baseball. And um, so I, I took that chance, took that opportunity and was traveling around playing baseball and stuff. And my mom and dad were both involved, even though they were separated, they were involved. And then uh, they got divorced and it kind of really it, it stuck with me because it really struck me down because I, I was used to having them both around. But when the divorce was final, my mom moved back to Florida. And so she was like, you're either going to come with me to Florida or you can stay here with your dad. It's up to you. So I was like, man, I'm, I'm staying with my dad. Like, here I am. I'm on this traveling baseball team. I'm playing football. I'm a senior, you know, a junior in high school. Everything's going great. Like I'm just going to stay here with dad. And he, my dad had been begging me to move in with him for about two years. So I moved in with my dad on May the 1st of 1998. And on May the 6th, I was in football practice five days later. And um, I seen a friend of mine pulling back into the back into the parking lot. And I thought, man, that's weird that my friend's name was Ben. I was like, this weird Ben's pulling back in here at this time of day. And I remember it like it was yesterday. I watched him get out of his truck and I'm supposed to be practicing football and I'm watching him and just can't take my eyes off of him. And I watched him walk all the way through the gates and all the way into the football practice facility and across the field and talk to my coach. And then my coach yelled my name. So I ran over there and he said, there's been an accident. Your dad's been um, involved in an accident and you need to go with Ben. Leave me your truck keys. I'll make sure your truck keys are safe and we'll get you back here. But you're going to go with Ben. So I jumped in the truck with Ben and I was asking him the whole way. I was like, hey, man, what happened? He's like, hey, I don't know, man. My mom and dad just told me that your dad was in an accident. We need to bring you bring you to his house. So I get to my dad's house and there are police everywhere. And I just was like, man, I didn't know what was going on. Like I said, I'd never been around any type of tragedy or anything. I've had such a great upbringing. And so I walk up to the front porch and um, they proceed to tell me that my father had killed himself while I was in school that day. Mm. And I didn't know what to do. I just took off running. So I ran and ran and ran until I was out of breath up, up this mountain that was behind our house. And I just sat there and I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know whether to pray, to cry, to scream. And I was just stuck. And I didn't understand what was going on. Like everything was fine when I left that morning. He talked to me before I left. We made plans for that evening and I just couldn't wrap my head around and understand how this could happen. So long story short, they came and got me. They finally found me up there and they brought me down and said, hey, you know, we need to ask you some questions. You know, where's your mom? Where are you? Where, you know, do you have any siblings? Like there was so many questions because they had just found him and they had gotten a hold of some friends that lived right around the area that kind of knew who he was and told him, said, hey, his son's in football practice at Heritage. Like you need to go get him. So they asked me, said, you know, where's your mom? I said, well, she's in Florida, you know, 10 and a half hours away. My sister was in college, but she was also a few hours away. And they said, we need you to, we need you to identify your father before we move him. Like, we know you're not of age, but we really need you to, we need you to go with us. And we need to make, before we move him and get him, we need you to make it, we need to, you know, give a positive identification. So I went down with them. I, 
walked uh, to the place where they had found him. He was covered with a sheet. They pulled the sheet back, showed me his face. I lost it, obviously. And, um, you know, told him, yeah, it was him. And I knew I, what was the crazy, like, I was just so alone in that moment. And I just remember crying out to God and just like, why is this happening? What did I do? What, what? And I, I really blame myself. Like, if I had been there, if I had, if I was able to say something to him that morning, like, could I have changed any of this? And so my mom finally came up from Florida. My sister finally gets there, but I was there for about three and a half to four hours with no one there. Like just me and the police officers at 16 years old. Mm. So it was just a, it was really hard to deal with. It was a lot for a 16 year old kid to go through. And, um, so I put down the baseball. My dad loved to watch me play baseball and I just couldn't take the field again. I, and I, I turned over to football and just really took out all the anger and frustration I had in football. And, um, I graduated high school or, you know, went on through my junior year and moved in with my sister and just really started falling off. I went from an AB you know, honor roll student to D's and F's. And my senior year, I just really didn't care about anything. I was started smoking weed and just really gave up on life. And um, so my senior year, I turned 18. My dad had a really hefty life insurance that went was split between me and my sister. So at 18 years old, with no parental guidance, my mom had went back to Florida. My sister was only 25. So she didn't know what to do with that type of money either. And so at six, at 18 years old, I was given a, a check for $180,000. And it sent me into a world that I had never known. I wasn't raised rich. I wasn't raised with money. We were raised to, you know, we paycheck to paycheck. We always had what we needed, but I was never, I never had just money just to go blow all the time. And now I'm an 18-year-old kid with $180,000 in the bank of money that I just didn't want anything to do with. And I always tell when I'm, when I'm teething my testimony and I'm telling this story, I always say I met the right people at the wrong time. Or if you want to look at it, vice versa, I met the wrong people at the right time. Mm-hmm. Cause here I was an 18 year old kid with a pocket full of money and had no idea on how to save it, how to use it, how to invest it. So there were people that showed me how to move that money and I became a product of the streets at a very young age. At 18, I was living on my own. And instead of buying a house, I rented a condo for two years, paid the rent for two years. I could have bought a house with that money, you know, looking back now. But I I, I got a condo and paid the rent up for two years. And it really started the downward spiral of a 20-year cycle. Um, I got heavily involved in drugs, not just using drugs, selling drugs, drug trafficking, moving drugs from state to state. I was going to Florida, picking them up, going to Texas, picking them up and just moving that money and just created this lifestyle of just street life and partying just nonstop from the age of 18 all the way until um, about 2008. 2007, 2008, I made the money last about 10 years. 2008, I found myself pretty much dead broke and um, just kind of working a job for the first time in four or five years. I'd had off and on jobs, but just enough just to show I had a little bit of money coming in. And so 2008, I found myself just kind of like, 
stuck in a spot. I was still partying all the time and doing doing stuff that I shouldn't be doing, but I didn't have I had no purpose, had no drive. And so I thought, well, I keep hearing about all these people going to Florida and and getting and getting pills and and, and selling them. So I, I I took what little bit of money I had and I started doing that. That took me down a really, really dark path of opiate addiction. And um, I became addicted to opiates at age probably 26, 27 years old. I was a full-fledged opiate addict. I was making three trips a month to Florida, um, sponsoring several people to go, just moving, selling pills, and just really involved heavily in street life and and just um, really just sad, just broken from the top down. My spirit was broken. The only thing I knew from 18 on was doing, you know, do partying and, and trying to mask the pain that I had from losing my father to such a young age. And my mother, her and I have a great relationship now, but I was really upset with her because she just kind of left and didn't help me and didn't tell me how I should to do things, but she was grieving in her, you know, in her own, in her own mind. And she was grieving the way that she knew to grieve. So in 2010, uh, I was in a little bar in in South Knoxville, Tennessee, and this girl walked in who was just beautiful. She was one of the most beautiful girls I'd ever seen in my life, and I just I just felt something telling me to talk to her. And I thought, man, this girl ain't gonna give me the time of day. She ain't even shouldn't even be in this place. Well, she did give me the time of day, and her and I hit it off great. We started talking, started, you know, just became friends at first. And she wouldn't, she wouldn't, she wouldn't be my my girlfriend, but she just was my friend, and I just confided everything into her. And so her and I really started talking. And she had never done drugs at all. She had never been introduced to anything like that. She was, you know, she was kind of a she was kind of sheltered and in church her whole life. And so I did what. Any, you know, what, what's what, what, what you shouldn't do. And I introduced her to, to opiates too. Her and I became very close. She became my girlfriend. Um, I got her hooked just as bad as I was. We ended up moving to Florida together after only knowing each other for about a month. And um, we were hard, fast in addiction. And then the drug lifestyle, just any way we could get it, sell it, do it. We were just invested full 100% in drugs and just became really, really bad addicts, like the worst of the worst. Like we used to, you know, we, we always, I always, I have a, in one of my songs, I said, I thank God for all the times he made a way when I couldn't find one mm. in the meals that he put before us when I was hungry and couldn't buy one. And we, there was times that her and I would, she would keep someone occupied while I would steal the food for us to eat at night. And we found ourselves homeless living on the streets in Panama city. And I had family there and they never knew that I was as bad as I was. I would show up to family gatherings and act like everything was good and great. And I was doing great and tell them I had these jobs that I really didn't have. And we were sleeping on the sidewalk or sleeping in the nearest hotel that we could get for the night. And we were just lost in addiction so bad. And I remember one night we both weighed about a hundred pounds and I leaned over to her and I said, Hey, look, check on me through the night. Cause I think I've done too much. I'm not sure if I'm going to wake up. And so that next morning when I woke up, I, I, I made a decision that it was time to change. It was time to ask for help. I hadn't asked for help my entire life. 
I've been stuck in addiction now for almost 20 years at this point. This is 2016 going on now, and I've been stuck in almost almost for 20 years at this time. And so we decided, all right, we're gonna we're gonna call out for help. We're gonna we're gonna see if somebody will help us. So we called her mother, and um, her and I at this point have been together for about eight years. We've been together, and it's just uh, we had done went through everything together. We had been at the top had a house and we're doing really, really good. We say we were doing good, but we were deep in addiction. And we, uh, we, we decided, okay, we're going to change. We're going to make this change. We're going to, we're going to come to Knoxville and we're going to make a change. So her mother came and got us the next morning and we left Panama city in the rear view and decided we would never go back. When we got to Knoxville, we were sober and clean for about a month. And, um, we decided, well, we're just going to go out and we're just going to have a little fun, man. We've been, we've been good for a month. Nothing's going to happen. Everything's going to be just fine. So that one night of fun turned into another two and a half years of full blown addiction, heroin, meth, pills, you name it, anything we could get our hands on. We were stuck right back in addiction again. And, um, her daughter, which was at, like I said, her and I weren't married at the time, but her daughter, um, would reach out to us and she looked up to me and because I, th- there had never been a really a father figure in her life. And so she was looking up to me and she called me one night and said, Hey, can you bring me a pizza? I have nothing to eat. And I was like, what do you mean you have nothing to eat? Like what's going on here? So we pull up at the hotel where her daughter is staying and I see her daughter's in full blown addiction now too. And so I looked and I'm like, man, you know, this, this, this girl who I have known since she was nine years old is now in full blown addiction. She's followed in our footsteps. And I just remember leaving that hotel and thinking, what have we done? What have we done with what we, we had a chance to save ourselves. We had a chance to turn it all around and we squandered it away. We've thrown it all away. Once again, here we are. We're in full blown addiction. Now your daughter's in full blown addiction. And on the way home that night, I I got home and I, for the first time in, in my adult life and in 20 years, I hit my knees mm-hmm. and I cried out and I just asked God, I said, take this from me whatever it takes to take this away from me i'm ready to do it i'm ready to i'm ready to to give up i'm i'm, I'm i don't like i didn't even suicide across my mind like you know if if i've got insurance with this job that i'm working now and 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 if if i if you know if i could take my life and and show that it was an accident and just these crazy thoughts running through my head like they'll be covered and they'll be able to get out of addiction using the money that and then i just thought back to me when i was 18 years old and just like I'm going to put her through the same thing that I went through if that happens. So I cried out to to God. I was like, look, I I need you now more than ever. And so I started going, I I reached out to a friend of mine who went to church. He was the only person I knew that went to church. And I was like, look, man, I just, I'm I'm done. Like I'm, I'm at a crossroads. It's either I'm going to end up in jail again or dead, or I'm going to clean my life up and I'm ready to clean my life up. So we got into church. And really just started moving forward, taking baby steps. The first step was just to make it to church. And then the second step was to, to get off drugs. So I went to the pastor of the church and I just kind of, he didn't even know who I was. And I just kind of poured my whole heart out to him. It's like, all right, man, look, I'm here. I'm on my knees. I don't know God. I know who he is, but I don't know him. I don't have a relationship with him. I need help. I'm stuck in addiction and I need help. And so 
they hooked us up with the people that could help us and um, kind of got me. I wouldn't say it was a 12-step program. It wasn't a program at all. It was just somebody that called and checked on me every couple of days. Hey, man, how you doing? You okay? How you doing? And then my family realized just how bad it was. And so a couple of people in my family started reaching out and calling me and asking me how I was doing. And, you know, it was, a, was there anything they could do? And I always said, no, I'm good. Everything's fine. And I wish now looking back, I had taken the help a lot earlier because I maybe couldn't have, you know, made it such a long, hard road. So you would think that after two times of, of making it out and being, being right back, you know, make, making a, a, a strong push for it that I would, be good to go, but I wasn't. Um, I started doing pills and stuff and drugs were getting right behind. At this time, she had become my wife. We we had been married. We had just gotten married and um, we'd been together for 12 years at this point, but we had just gotten married and I was going behind her back and doing drugs, not telling her. And um, it just, I, the, the more that I got involved with it, the more she could tell. And so she gave me an ultimatum was like, look, it's either me or the drugs. You're going to have to pick one. Like I'm done. I'm finished. I'm clean. So you're going to have to get clean or you're going to have to, you know, step away from me. And so I didn't want to lose her. She's the only thing that had been stable in my life since I was 16 years old. So I said, okay, I'm going to go and I'm going to get a, I'm going to get a good job and I'm going to show you that I love you. And then I can do this. And um, so I was still, still smoking weed, you know, one foot in, one foot out, going to church. And and I got this good job at a at a big car manufacturing plant. And I was doing really, really well. And uh, we were living with my sister at the time. And I was still one foot in, one foot out and doing stuff behind everybody's back, telling everybody I was clean. And then I'd tell them I had to work over and I'd go get high and uh, come home and go to bed and act like everything was fine. And my sister pulled me aside one night and she was like, Josh, I know what you're doing. Like you're, I know what you're doing. I heard you come in the other night, stumbling around, falling over everything. She was like, you didn't even know, but I was sitting in the living room watching you. She was like, I know you're coming in my house high. And she was like, you're never going to be anything. You're never going to do this. You you're broken and you can't be fixed. Like, I don't know what to do with you anymore, but you got two weeks and you have to be out of my house. So it was at that point that I was like, uh Oh, now I'm really messed that. Now I've really messed up. You know, now I'm in trouble. Now I literally am going to be homeless again. I've burnt another bridge. I've dis- disappointed my, the only person in my family who's cared for me. And, um, now my wife is going to leave because she knows I'm doing it again. And I was just, I went down this really long rabbit hole one night and got really, really messed up. And, uh, I just cried out to, to God again. It's like, yeah, I know I've let you down so many times, Lord, but I swear if you help me out this time, I'm going to do it this time. I promise. And, um, the next morning we were, my wife and I were sitting in the living room and the phone rang and it was her daughter and she said, um, I'm pregnant. You guys are going to be grandparents. And I was young. I was, uh, at the time I was 38 years old. And she, uh, she said, you know, um, she was 20, she was 21. So she, uh, she's kind of dropped a bomb on me and her mom, but I knew then that that was the Lord answering my prayer that he was going to send me something that was worth me getting clean for. 
And so then it kind of put me into overdrive mode. It's like, okay, my daughter's that saying she's going to come live with us now and that she wants help with this baby. Well, I can't even provide for myself and my wife. How am I going to provide for my daughter and this grandchild of mine? Like, what am I going to do? So I really put my nose to the grindstone. I got myself clean. I uh, went to the doctor and got put on some boxing in which I thought was, Hey, I'm getting clean. You know, I'm going to do it. I'm going to get off drugs with the Suboxone and everything's going to be fine. And, uh, I'm going to get clean. So when it comes to that part of being clean, I was clean for, for several months. Uh, my grandbaby was born. Um, I ended up getting us a house. We got a house and she moved in with us and on the morning he was born, I watched him be born. It's the first time I'd ever been. It's the first time I, I'd ever seen in my life what love was. Like, I thought I knew what love was. And I thought I knew what the feeling of love was. But when that grandbaby was born, I saw and felt the love of the Lord in the room. Because when he was born, he wasn't breathing. He was unconscious and wasn't breathing for about three minutes. And so everybody in the room is freaking out. My wife's freaking out. My daughter's freaking out. And I was just so calm. And I was just praying the whole time. And I was like, Lord, I know you wouldn't bring me through all this and do all this and 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 just to take this grandbaby. Like, I know that he's going to be okay. And so they took him out. And I'm trying to console my wife and daughter because they're both just unbelievably distraught because they, they're trying to revive him. And the doctor comes in and he's like, look, he's in critical condition and we're going to take him to the NICU and he's going to be there for at least, you know, a month. And it's going to be, you guys can come in and see him, but you got to have mask and gloves on. And like, he's not going to be okay for a while. And he's a possibility that uh, the umbilical cord is wrapped around him, around his neck. So it's a possibility that he could have some brain damage and, and we're just, you know, we're sorry, but this is just how life's going to be. So I was just completely emotionally just torn. And so I went outside and I got in the car and I just broke down just my, by myself. And I just cried out and I was like, you know, God, why after all the things that I've been through and I told you I was going to get clean and I know I messed up and I know this is probably my fault too. And I just blamed myself and I would just cry down. I was like, Lord, please, please don't do this. Like, please help me and help my wife and my daughter. Like, I just want, I just want my grandbaby to be okay. And I promise I'll never touch another drug again. Like, just let that be, let that happen. So the next, we went home, my daughter got to go home and he was in the NICU and they called us the next morning. They were like, Hey, you need to come up here. And so we were there. They didn't tell us why they were like, you need to get here. And so we fly out of the hospital and we walk in and they were like, you know, he's going to have to have it when the night before they were like, he's going to have to have a feeding tube. He's not going to be, you know, he's going to be in here for months. And we walk in and they're like, come back here, come back here. So we go back and he's sitting up eating out of a bottle with the, his eyes wide open and he's just completely healthy. And I just broke down and fell to my knees right there in that NICU. And I was like, I knew he was going to answer my prayer. Like, I knew it. I knew it. And so I devoted everything in my time to, to being a good grandpa and just to being a role model for, for him. And like, I was like, all right, I'm not going to do drugs anymore. Uh, I still smoked weed at the time, but I, I didn't look at that as a, as a drug. I had myself convinced that God put it on the earth and, and it was, it was, it's not man-made, so it's not a drug. And so I, um, <laughs> I still smoked all the way up until, um, about eight months ago. 
and I was a good grandpa. I hit it. I, you know, thought I was being a good grandpa and a good role model. And I never would let him see me smoke. I never would, you know, let him see anything like that. I always went outside and I just, I kept it away from everyone and thought I was doing great. And we started going to church again. Um, about a year and a half ago, I got really involved with the church and I was asked to to come and sing in the choir and you know, to lead, help lead the worship team. And so I started singing with the worship team on, on Sundays and then that turned into Sunday and Wednesday and then it turned into Sunday, Wednesday and every other Monday we were doing worship night and I was just completely on fire for the Lord. And one part of this story that I, that I left out and I left that on purpose so that I could come back to it is in 2015, when we were in, when my wife and I were in Panama City and we were working, we were doing just anything we could do to keep our addiction fed. I uh, I got a job at a strip club as a manager. And I thought that, you know, I can hide this from everybody. And I, at first, I didn't even tell my wife what I was doing. I was just bringing home good money every night as a manager. And I uh, had always had a love for music and uh, had always sang as a kid and loved hip hop music and would always freestyle by myself, but never really done any, any music at all. And um, these guys were in the club one night and they were freestyling in the club. And I just was there. I was in a three piece suit as a manager, just listening to them. And I walked over and there was a break and I just jumped in and started freestyling. They all turned to me like, what are you like? Who are you, man? What's your rap name? And I was like, I don't have no rap name, man. I'm, I'm just having fun. And they were like, well, here's my card. Come to the studio. And so I went to the studio a couple of days later and I wrote, I had written my first song in those couple of days and I went to the studio and recorded it. And I, uh, it was just something I love to do. So I started just kind of playing with, hip hop and music and just kind of doing a couple shows here and there and just kind of putting music out there. But it was secular music all for the world. Cause that's all I knew. It was all about drugs and gang life and living in the streets and working in a strip club. And it was all these secular things that I thought that I was a gangster, man. I mean, here I am this, you know, I'm, I'm got tattoos all over me and I'm doing this rap music. And I just thought I was on top of the world, but I never could separate the drugs from the rap music. If I was rapping or doing music, I was getting high in the process. So when my grandbaby was born, I decided to put the music away. I'm done with it. I, I wasn't making anything of myself. I had like five followers on YouTube and just wasn't doing anything with it. I wasn't getting any money for anything I was doing. I wasn't really doing it at all. I wasn't even giving it my all. So the Lord took it away from me. And all these years later, I was just singing worship music and just loving the Lord, man, and just really putting in time. Like I said, I was still smoking and stuff. And one night I had this dream. And this almost gets me choked up every time I tell this, but the Lord came to me in this dream and he was like, if you will fully surrender to me, and I mean fully, I mean, put the weed down, put everything down and give me everything for the first time in your life. Give me all your burdens, lay it all down at my feet. I will restore something in you that I gave you and took away. And I woke up and I remember thinking, whoa, like that was really, that was really the Lord that came to me in that dream. That was really him. 
And it was like 1.30 in the morning and I'm in the bathroom and I'm throwing every paraphernalia, everything I got, I'm throwing a trash can. And my wife wakes up. She's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm throwing it all away. I flushed two ounces of weed down the toilet. I was like, I'm done. I was like, the Lord came to me in a dream and said that if I would fully surrender, he would give me something back that I, that I lost. And I don't know what that is, but it was so real to me. And it was so personal that I knew it was really the Lord talking. And so the next night we had worship night. And this guy comes walking in and he introduces himself and he's like, hey man, my name's Clean Slate. I'm a Christian hip hop artist and I make Christian rap music and I travel the country and I tell my testimony and he he has a powerful testimony as well. And he, uh, he, he told me his testimony. He's like, man, um, the fountain of hope here that you that you do some work with, they, they, they brought me up here to do a concert this Wednesday night. You should come check it out. I was like, yeah, man, I, I wouldn't. He was like, he's like, all right, man. Well, he's like, I just wanted to come say hi and, and just I'm going to listen to you guys at worship since I'm I'm here in town. I just want to come. He's like, but I can't stay all night. He's like, I'm just going to stay for an hour or two and then I got to get on. And I was like, all right. Well, as the night went on, I could see he wasn't leaving. And so we, we sang for like two hours. He's sitting in the back row and the pastor comes up. And he's like, hey, Josh, he was like, uh, this, this rapper wants to talk to you if you've got him in. And I was like, yeah, sure. So he comes up and he's like, look, man, he's like, since the moment you opened your mouth and started singing, he's like, the Lord has been telling me to walk with you and to mentor you and to do a song with you. Would you be interested in doing a hip hop song with me? And I was like, I don't know, man. I was like, I don't really do that anymore. It's been like five and a half years at this point. I don't know, six years. Like, I don't really know about that, man. I was like, I'll think about it. And, uh, he was like, all right. He was like, well, think about it, man. So that was on Monday. And so I drove home that night and I'm thinking to myself, is that what that dream was about? Like the Lord is fixing to give me this music back. Is this really what this is? Like, is this really happening? Is this really what's about to happen? And so I was like, you know what? Okay, I'm I'm going to tell this guy that I'm going to do this song, just this one song, and I'm not going to rap it, and I'm just, I'll sing for him if he wants, but I'm not going to do any rapping because I ain't never rapped for the Lord. I didn't even know if I could rap about about Jesus and, and the things that he had done because at this point, like I said, I was very young in my walk with Christ, and I just really didn't know what to do or how to go about doing it. I'd never written a song like that, never really had written anything. I'd just been singing worship songs. So I talked to Slate, Clean Slate on Wednesday, and I was like, all right, man, yeah, I'll do it. And he's like, all right, well, I've got this beat that I think you'd be perfect for. I'm going to send it to you. He's like, I said, okay. So he sent it to me that night after his rap concert, and I was blown away by his testimony at that rap concert, just listening to him do song after song after song without cussing, without being derogatory at all, just singing about what the Lord had done in his life. And I was just blown away about this Christian hip hop artist. And so I went home that night and he sent me the beat and I'm like, all right, I'm going to try to write this. And so I was like, but before I'm going to write this song, I'm actually going to pray for the first time. And Lord knows how long it had been since I had sat down and talked to God. So I opened my Bible up and the first, the first verse that opened up the Bible opened up to was Ephesians one seven. And that is in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. And I was just like, whoa. Okay, Lord, I, I hear you. I am, I'm redeemed. Okay, I see what you're doing here. And I hadn't even thought of a name yet or, or decided on a name at all. 
uh, for to rap about because I was just going to do this one song. I was just going to go by Josh Richards and that was going to be it. I was going to do this one song and it's going to be over with. I wasn't I wasn't planning on 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 doing this journey like like what what it's got me in now. And so um, he sent me the beat. I write the song in about 25 minutes. I send it over to him and I'm like, hey man, I'm gonna do this on a voice recording. Like everybody in my house is asleep. I'm in the bathroom. Like I'm just gonna sing this for you real quick. So I sing in this little course and my and I send it to him. My phone rings. He was like, bro, are you serious? You just wrote that in 20 minutes? Like I just sent you that. And he, I was like, yeah. And he was like, you have to put a verse on that, a rap verse. I'm not gonna let. He's like, I'm not gonna use this song if you don't rap on it too. He's like, if you wrote that chorus in 20 minutes, you can rap about the Lord too. He's like, I'm gonna need to see what you can do. So, I put a rap song. I put a rap verse to it and sent it to him. And he about an about an hour later, and he called me back and he was like, What are you doing, man? He was like are you really not doing music at all? And I was like, no, man, that's the first song I've ever written for the Lord. And it's called, I run to you. And it was because, you know, the words in the, in the, in the song are, you know, they say we're on a walk with Christ, but I just want to run to him because there were so many times I didn't know if I would make it to the next day, but now he's blessed me with a beautiful wife. He's blessed me with a, a house and a daughter and a grandbaby who love me and I'm providing for them. And I've got all this stuff to be thankful for. I've got all these things happening in my life that I never would have thought possible. And so we, I sent him the song and he's like, bro, you're not done. He's like, I'm going to need you to write another song. I'm going to send you another beat. So he sent me another beat. I wrote another one and sent it to him. And he was like, man, come on, let's go. He's like, you gotta be, he's like, look, man, I'm going on tour in a couple weeks. He's like, I'm going to bring you on tour with me. You better get ready. Start writing music. And I was like, are you serious? He's like, yeah, man, you better start writing. He's like, your first show's in two weeks in Indiana. He's like, be ready. And so I was like, oh, man, I was so nervous. And I was like, he's like, what's your rap name going to be? And I was like, I don't know, man. And then I just thought back and I was like, you know, when I opened the Bible to write that song, it was Ephesians 1, 7 about redemption. So I said, my rap name's going to be Redeemed. And I said, I'm going to change my name because I didn't change it. God changed my name. He changed my name. He's completely cleaned me up. He's given me this opportunity and I'm, I'm ready to do this. Well, that Sunday morning at church, I had been going to church for a year and a half and I'd been singing on the worship team. I had been, you know, involved with helping the recovery ministry that we're a part of at the church. And I'd been doing all this stuff, but I had never went to the altar. And uh, I about knocked my wife over and everybody in that row trying to get to the altar that morning. And I just laid it all down on his feet. And I said, Lord, I, here I am. I'm fully surrendering to you. And I, if, if this is what you were talking about, then give me the words to write this music. Um, that was uh, five and a half months ago. I have been completely sober off of weed and everything for five and a half months. The only thing I was doing five and a half months ago was weed. I was just smoking weed. I've been completely sober off Suboxone and everything for three and a half years. Um, I've been out of the streets for about five and a half years. Um, whenever I laid it all down on his feet, not only did he bless me with the gift of a grandbaby and the gift of sobriety, but he restored this music in me. I've done 15 shows in four and a half months, 
I'm touring the country with amazing artists, Joe Nestor, Nikki Gracious, um, Rare. I've been on stage with Rare of Breed and Brian Trejo, and we've got shows coming up this year that with with all these guys that have just, you know, I've not done a show with Brian T yet, but he's very big in the state of Texas and he's big in the Christian hip hop community. And I watch his testimonies and I watch his 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 Bible studies and just the way that these guys carried themselves. When I went out to the first show with them, I watched, I was just, I was starstruck, not starstruck, but I was Godstruck. Like I've been at rap shows before. This was unlike any rap show I ever been to. These guys were worshiping Jesus. They had altar call. There's people giving their life to the Lord. There's people being baptized and I'm just blown away. And I've cried almost the whole show. And I've written 17 songs in four months i'm working on my first album um <laughs> i'm a part of a recovery ministry um called narrow path that was started by clean slate and his wife mallory down in mississippi we did we're do, we've done um we rang in the new year last week in yazoo city mississippi um we took jesus to the streets we did an open air concert um in the in the middle of yazoo city I've been to several recovery programs tonight. Um, as I'm sitting here right now, I'm sitting in a little kids' church room right now doing this podcast. I'm in Xenia, Ohio. I'm speaking at a recovery graduation tonight mm-hmm. for um, a guy that I've been mentoring for the past couple months. And um, he has no idea that I'm here. It's a surprise. They're going to bring me out about halfway through his graduation. And I'm just blessed to be sitting here because the Lord has fully restored me from what I once was. I was the worst of the worst. I would lie, steal, cheat. I would do anything I could to get over on somebody because the only thing I had in my mind was myself and and my wife just trying to take care of us. I, I was all that mattered. And when I was fully set free and all my chains were broken and I was brought out of addiction, I've made a commitment to to the Lord, made a, a commitment to my wife, and I made a commitment to myself that for the rest of my days, I will no longer tear up these streets. I will rebuild these streets. I will no longer tear down the youth. I will try to reach the youth. I'm going to speak life instead of associate myself with death. You know, when my father died, I thought it was my fault. But I had nothing to do with the decisions that were made that day. It took me 20 years to realize that, that it wasn't my fault. You know, and I experienced a lot of death very soon at a young age. You know, from 16 to 20, I lost about six or seven people that were really close to me. And so death was all I knew at that that crucial time. But now I've been given a second chance at life. I've been fully redeemed. I've been fully restored. And so I'll spend the rest of my days telling every single person that there is a way out. There is hope. And now instead of, instead of worrying about being, you know, arrested and, and dealing dope and slinging dope, I, I sling hope and I deal hope and I ain't got to worry about being arrested. I ain't got to worry about being indicted because I'm, I'm truly set free and I'm, I'm fully redeemed. And I'm just, I'm doing everything I can to live for the Lord now and just really, you know, show people that there is hope, man, because I was down as bad as you could get homeless on the streets, living day by day, hour by hour. 
and I've been fully restored. And it's just an amazing journey. It's been a, an, uh, it's been a whirlwind the past five months. But then I, I do stuff like this graduation tonight, and I just look about at all these people that are going through recovery. Every city that we go to, it's crazy. Every city has got the same stories. You know, there's people that are lost, people that are in addiction. But there is there is hope, and there is a way out. And you just gotta you gotta get to that point where you cry out and you and you just lay it all down at the feet of Jesus and 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 just say, hey. I'm here and I've, I've been going hard in the streets and in these drugs for years, but I'm going to go hard and, and, and I'm going to go in for you and see what happens. And man, it's just been a blessing. I'm just so thankful to be sitting here on this podcast, talking to you and, and giving you my story. That's amazing. That's amazing. Praise God. Praise God. Yes. Man, just, yes. boy, the, the, just the word redeemed, you know, yeah. um, me, means that we were worthy before. Right. Mm -hmm. We just didn't know it. We didn't feel it. We weren't connected enough to feel that. So to be redeemed. Yeah. It see, well, I just got chills. Thank you, God, for that. Amen. You know, just (laughs) it's one of those things that, you know, I I can. And thank you for sharing and and being vulnerable and sharing all of that. That, man, I got to tell you in in congratulations on the five and a half months. Thank you. That's, um, that is amazing. And thank you also for addressing the fact that, you know, I, I just, I, I don't mince words too often. This California is sober stuff. You know, it's, it's yep. like, yeah, mind altering is mind altering is mind altering. When you yep. are trying to change your state of mind, that is a problem. That is no matter, yep. no matter what you're using, um, it's a problem. And, you know, yep. people say, I'm, yeah, I'm just smoking weed. Yeah, for now. For now. For now. Mm-hmm. Yep. For now. Because, yep. yeah, it, it, anyway. But um, so tell me, Josh, how do you um, how do you start your day every day? When you open your eyes, what happens? The first thing I do before I before my feet even hit the floor is I thank God for opening my eyes because there were many nights, as I told you earlier, that I didn't know if I was going to wake up. I had done so much, so much. I had done so many pills or done so much heroin or so much that I didn't know if I was going to wake up. So the first thing I do when I open my eyes is I say, thank you. Thank you. And then I, I, and then I pray and I think, I know my, I thank God for my wife and for my grandbaby that's in the room, you know, right next to us. And then I get out, I, I get up. And I get my day started. I, I get up every single morning at 5 a.m. I usually wake up about 4:45, and then I, I don't get out of bed till five. You know, five o'clock. I, I get a good prayer in before I before my feet even hit the floor. And then uh, I, I still work a, a job. Uh, I'm not doing music and ministry full time yet, but I'm praying that the Lord is going to provide me a way to do that full time. And right now I'm I'm working a regular, uh, I won't say nine to five because it's more like seven to seven, but um, I, I do, uh, I work Monday through Friday and then I travel every weekend. Um, I've still reside in Knoxville, Tennessee, uh, and I travel all over the country every single weekend, whether like this week, like I said, I'm in Xenia, Ohio, but it's very important to start your day the same way you end your day. 
And that's by thanking God for the day. I thank him in the mornings when I wake up and it's the last thing I do before I close my eyes. And normally I'll fall asleep talking to him Mm. with my eyes closed. Mm -hmm. And I just, I'm so thankful for every day and for every chance because we're not promised five minutes from now, much less tomorrow. When you're deep in addiction, most of the people that I was deep in addiction with are gone now. There's very few people when you're that deep in addiction that make it out. Oh, it's staggering. So it's staggering. It's staggering. Mm. The numbers are crazy. And like, I have a picture from a party one night and there's about 13 people in this picture, 13 or 14 people in this picture. And there's four of us from that picture that are still alive. Wow. And it's mind blowing. And not all of them were taken through addiction. Some of them through car wrecks and stuff like that. But it's just like, wow, this picture was taken 10 years ago. And there's only four people left alive in this picture. You know, people that I never thought would fall to addiction, fell to addiction and and overdosed. Um, A very, very close friend of mine who had been sober for eight years and had a daughter who was doing unbelievable, went out on New Year's Eve last year and overdosed. The first time they had done anything in eight years and it, mm. it killed them. And, you know, they left behind an eight-year-old daughter. And it's just, it's it's one of those things like, you know, I, I always, you know, it's kind of cliche. So, well, the first thing I do is thank the Lord. And they never, it was like, but no, that's what I really do. I really wake up every morning and I thank the Lord for, for what I've got and what I've, what he's given me and the opportunity to tell more people about what he's done for me and what he can do for them. Mm-hmm. And I have, you know, these, I have a Bible study. I'm on two different Bible studies every week. I'm on a Tuesday night call with about 30 to 50 men from around the country from uh, called the KMF Discipleship Group. We have a Bible study with Pastor Raul Maaset from Michigan, and it's a Zoom call where there's 30 to 50 guys every Tuesday night for two hours. We Bible study from 8 to 10. And then on Friday, I have my own group that I do with three or four guys that I do music with. Um, We all do our we do a, a, a weekly Bible study as well. And I find that if I don't read my Bible throughout the day, that the enemy knows when when you're slacking and he's going to come in. If you give him just that little, little, little niche in your armor to come in and sneak in, he's going to be like, oh, see, here you didn't read your Bible today. Oh, see, the Lord's not going to like that. And it's mm-hmm. like, wait a minute, man. Hold up. Let me go get right in this word real quick and, and get back right with myself and, and get back right with the Lord because – you have to push yourself. Being a Christian is not easy. Mm-mm. Being a follower in Christ is not easy. It's not a, it's not a cakewalk. It's not. And, and I've seen a, a meme on Facebook the other day, and I thought, man, that's spot on. Being a Christian is not a pleasure cruise on Carnival Cruise Line. Being a Christian is being a soldier on a battleship. Mm-hmm. Every single day, the enemy's gonna fire missiles at you. And and every single day those bullets are gonna come and people are gonna people are gonna hold you to a higher standard. Once you start walking with Christ and you let everybody know you're walking with Christ and you're walking in faith, they are going to hold you to this really high standard 
to the point of where you can't mess up because you, you're you saying you're this and you're that. And they're looking for any little thing to try to knock you off and say, ah, I knew you weren't really doing that. I knew you weren't really, you know, going to be, I knew you weren't really sober. Like on, <clears throat> on, on Thanksgiving, I was asked to, to take a shot of alcohol. And I was like, Hey man, I can't do that. It's like, come on, man. It's just one shot. We just, we just taking one shot, man. It's not like, uh, uh-uh. like I can't even take one shot because if I allow myself to take that armor for that one shot, that one shot might turn into two, might turn into 10, might turn into a thought in my head to go out and use again. And I can't even put myself in that position. It's very important that once, once you get clean and you start walking in recovery, that you are steadfast in that recovery and in that walk with Christ. And people will try to influence you. People will try to talk bad about you and your family included. Like when I started doing this rap music, and even though I'm doing Christian hip hop and I'm doing Christian rock and roll and Christian, even I got, I got a couple of country style songs, but the first thing that came out of my family's mouth was, man, I'm so glad he's on fire for the Lord and look at him giving his testimony. The first thing out of my family's mouth was, uh, how long do you think it'd be for to be using again? He's yeah, doing hip hop. You know? That's fear. I, I like, you know, it it's a, 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 a mental picture just came into my mind when you said, when you said, I, ta- I, you know, if I take off the armor to have that one shot, shot, like you opened yourself up for, for, for Satan, the darkness, whatever you call it, to take a shot at you. Yep. And that shot could be it, fatal. It could be. Full on it could fatal. Be. Yeah. Full on. But, you know, and I also want, you know, the people around me to know that, hey, man, you know, he's keeping his armor on. He's doing everything because we're going to we're we are we all fall short of, the, of, of we all mm-hmm. fall short of the glory of God. Mm-hmm. We all do. We all say things. I still get aggravated and I try to hold myself at a standard. Of, hey, I'm always happy. I'm always, you know, always speaking the Lord's message and always giving everything that I have out of my heart to people and like watching watching people come through recovery is such a joy for me. Like we have, there's a, um, a, a men's home that my church is very uh, closely affiliated with called the fountain of hope. And that was one of the things that always convicted me was I would be up on stage singing worship songs to these guys that are in recovery. And they're, man, we love to hear you sing, you know, when you sing and the way you sing, it, it helps us through our recovery. And then I was smoking weed on the way home mm. And it just convicted my heart so much because I couldn't stand the thought of them like, man, what if they found out that I was smoking? What if they found out that I was doing this? So the first show event that we did at my church when they asked, hey, hey, we're going to bring Clean Slate back up and we want you to perform with him at your home church. It was the first time I was going to get to perform in front of all those guys. I gave them the same testimony that I'm giving you now. And I told them the truth. I said, Three months ago, when I was in here singing to you guys, I was singing to you high. I was singing on this stage and smoking blunts on the way home. And it was looking out into you guys and looking into your eyes and knowing what you're going through in recovery that convicted my heart. And the Lord told me and convicted my heart. And it was it was you guys that helped me. And so that little did they know like they're going through their recovery but their recovery helped me mm-hmm. in a sense that they didn't even know. They thought I was clean and had been clean and 
was doing all these things for the Lord and they had no idea that they helped me through my recovery. And I've got this line in my song that says, um, when I first started this walk with Christ, I was still smoking drove and I would be in church on a Sunday morning with my eyes about to close and the devil telling me it was okay because God put it on this earth. But he also made that fruit the devil made eat bite at first. Mm. So there's, there's some, the, the truth in that is we can put on a persona for people to see and we can put on a mask for people to see, but all darkness eventually comes mm. to light. Always. But it is. Always. Always. And it's exhausting. It's exhausting it to carry those oh, masks and those costumes yes. and that. If I'm, I'm here, i got to be this person. And it's like just yeah. shed all of that and leave it. It, yeah. You know, that surrender, there's there's just, there's nothing on earth like it. I mean, there's just, no. and, and, you know, talking about, you know, this, this walk not being all that easy, any relationship worth having is work. You know, the yes. relationship with your wife, with your daughter, with your grandson, yes. anything worth having, you've got to put forth that effort. You know, a lot of people think that, okay, God, I, I, I need you to save me. It, okay, well... What what now? What now? What yeah. how, what are you doing to nurture? You know, and and that's like when your when your marriage, you know, when your marriage is is stale or on the rocks. What'd you stop doing? What'd you yeah. stop doing that made her look your way to begin with, or that made her fall yeah. in love with you? You know, you, people say that you know I haven't heard from God lately. Have you called him? Yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah, it's just- <laughs> Yeah, I mean, sometimes we seem like we only call on him when we need something. Right, those foxhole fox prayers or 911. God's not yeah. a vending machine. God is not no. a vending machine. Ain't nothing good comes out of a vending machine. No, you that's know? it. You got that right. And then people yep. blame and you God. Call him every day. Right. They blame God when something happens and, and don't give him credit when something great happens. And, you know, that's that's that relationship part that that, that I, yeah. love, I love what you said at the very beginning, Josh, when you said, I, I I knew there was a God, but I didn't have a relationship with him. I mean, uh, why would he bother with me? You know, clearly yep. he didn't like me too much because look at my life. Yeah. Right. Yep. But all of that yeah, was just lies. Him. That's lies yep. that we were feeding on that fruit that we were feeding yep. on that we weren't supposed to be having. Yeah, I got a I got a saying now that I and I when I do these recovery events and I start every I'm like, hey, I just want to let y'all know the enemy is a punk. Mm-hmm. Like he is a punk. He mm-hmm. is going to come at you. And and the enemy doesn't give us the chains. He doesn't and, and I this is something that a, a pastor has said and it really stuck with me when I heard it. The enemy doesn't come with you with a chain. It's like, here, I got this chain, it's gonna it's going to ruin your life. It's going to ruin your marriage. It's going to keep you bound for 10 years in addiction. It's going to take everything from you. It's going to make your family hate you. Here's this chain. He doesn't do that. Uh-uh. But he knows that we're smart enough to be like, no, I'm good. I'm right. good with that. Right. What he does is he brings us one link at a time. Mm-hmm. Here's this. It's going to make you feel better. This, it's this shiny. Right here's make you feel it's better. new. Yep. It's, yeah. here's, here's, mm-hmm. a, here's another link. It's gonna. This is going to take your depression away. Mm-hmm. This link's going to take this away. This is, And then before you know it, you're bound down with a chain from every on every limb, and mm-hmm. you had no idea it happened. You just wake up in addiction one day, and it's like nobody plans to be an addict. Nobody plans to be an addiction. I didn't plan to be an opiate addict, and I didn't plan for my entire life to fall apart and be homeless and be stealing food. I never that was never in the cards for me. I never I thought 
as a kid that I was going to be a major league baseball player. And, and that was just going to be, that was it. But the Lord and, you know, and everybody's like, man, but aren't you mad that God put you through all that? And then I look back to where I, and, and I used to say, yeah, I'm mad. Absolutely. I can't believe he did that to me. And then now I'm sitting here talking to you on this podcast, telling everybody this story and telling everybody how great he is. And I'm so thankful that I went through everything that I mm, went through. Amen. Say that again. Say that again. I'm thankful mm. for everything that I've been through. Mm. I'm, and, and people are like, are you crazy? Like, yeah, I, I'm thankful that my dad committed suicide. I and because I'm thankful that my grandfather passed away when he did. I'm thankful that my mom didn't come and get me. I'm thankful that I got all that money and went crazy. I'm thankful that I was an addict. I'm thankful that because if I wasn't all those things, I can't help the people Amen. that I'm helping. Amen. Your mess became your message. Amen. It did. And it's, it's uh, you know, I'm a walking, living, breathing, sinner, saved testimony. Mm. Like, you can't make this stuff up. I can't, I can't tell you these things that I've been through and, and not be truthful because I from now on until I take my last breath, when I take my last breath, I want people to look at me and be like, you know, he went through everything in his life that he went through to turn out to be the God, the man of God that he was mm -hmm. like, man, what a man of God he was. Like when I walk in, I want people to see the light around me. You know, I've got a lot. I've got several songs that talk about carrying your light. The Lord rolls with me. Like when you invite me, you're to like when you invite me to an event. If you don't want to hear about Jesus, you better not invite me. Mm. Like if you don't want to, if, if if you want me to speak, you better know that the Lord's coming with me. Mm -hmm. Because when I was in addiction and I was selling drugs, boy, I was hardcore for that. I sell you. So I always say I sell a ketchup popsicle to a man in a white tuxedo. Like, mm. but now. I'm going to give you Jesus just as hard as I gave you everything else because look what he's done in my life. Right. How could I not? How could I not just pour out everything that he's done for me and tell everybody, like, look what he's done for me. And if you don't think he can do the same for you, let's sit down and talk about it. Mm -hmm. Because I, I know a man. I know a man that can do it all. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't he doesn't make mistakes. Wow. You know, and I'm a, I'm a breathing testimony of that. He doesn't make Amen. mistakes. Amen. Josh, where can people find you? Where can people find your music? There'll be a link on, yes. on, on this. Yeah, on, we're this platform. We're on all the platforms. So a link. Yeah, you, I know you sent me some links, but tell people where they can find yes. you. So I'm a, you can look me up at Redeemed Music on Facebook, or you can just look it up Redeemed in all caps. I have two pages. Um, they can also find me on Spotify, YouTube, Tidal, any streaming service. I'm on every single streaming service. Um, I've got several music videos coming that are in the works. I've got an album I'm working on now that'll be out in March or April. I haven't got an official release date for that yet, but I'm dropping singles every couple of weeks. Um, I'm really on fire for the Lord. And, um, I'm just, uh, I'm thankful for everyone that has, that has followed, that has followed the music from the beginning. I went from about 75 to a hundred friends on Facebook to several thousand really quick. Um, several thousand views on some of my short reels and stuff. So just be on the lookout, man. I'm, I'm coming to a city near you and I'm bringing the Lord with me. That's amazing. And music is with a Z. 
Yes, music with a Z. He yes, redeemed, redeemed music, music in yes. a Z. I see. Got it. Got yes, it. Right. Josh, God bless you, and thank you for sharing bless your, you your testimony. Thank you for having um, me on. We're just we have to, you know, we we have to keep marching this march and, and be warriors because there there are yes. people that are suffering needlessly, and and um, again the the statistics of of the number of us that make it out is uh, it doesn't have to be like that. There is a solution. Nope. There is yep, a there is a solution, and it, when you when you when you guys you know are, are listening to this podcast and and you reach out to me, you don't have to reach out just to follow the music. You can reach out if you need someone to talk to. I, my, I will give you my phone number. You can call and talk to me personally. I'll be more than happy just to talk and listen. Okay. You can vent. You can pour your hearts out. Whatever it is, I don't. You don't have to just follow me to listen to the music. We can just talk and be friends. You got it. Josh, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you, you so much. All Bless right. You. Thank you. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye now. Thanks for listening to Purpose Driven Sobriety. Keep coming back. This has been a Rogue Media Network. Production.